0: church, along with those that are listening on T-102 and watching us on Facebook Live. As we start our worship this morning, I would ask that everybody that can stand, please stand, and we'll go through our call to worship, taken from the book of Psalm, chapter 86. Hear me, Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life. For I am faithful to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Have mercy on me, Lord. For I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant, Lord. For I put my trust in you. You are Lord, giving good. Abounding in love to all who call to you. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. When I am in distress, I call to you, because you answer me. Among the gods there is none like you, Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name. For you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. Teach me your way, Lord, that I might rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart, that I may fear your name. I will praise you, Lord, my God. With all my heart, I will glorify your name forever. For great is your love towards me. You have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. Arrogant foes are attacking me, O God. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. They have no regard for you. But you, Lord, are compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love, Turn to me and have mercy on me. Show your strength in behalf of your servant. Save me, because I serve you, just as my mother did. Give me a sign of your goodness, that my enemies may see it, and be put to shame. For you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Now we'll continue to stand and sing our two opening hymns. To I, 61, we gather together, and 74, Majesty.
1: prayer. Father, we come to you this morning with humble hearts to praise you and glorify you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. We worship your majesty, Lord. Psalm 50 verse 23 states that our thankfulness honors you. So as we come off another Thanksgiving holiday, we give you thanks again for all the blessings you provide for us. Thank you for providing the Holy Spirit to guide us through this service, and to guide us through each step of our lives. Thank you for the provision you give for church, the people here in attendance today, those listening on the radio, and those watching on the internet. Thank you for being a loving, sovereign God, one of mercy and grace, and one that promises to never leave us nor forsake us. Help us remember to always trust and obey you, Lean on you for direction and acknowledge you in everything we do. Father, we also thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for designing your word so that we can spend our entire lifetime reading it and meditating on it, but never fully comprehend it all. But we also thank you for designing it with a simple message that we're all sinners who've fallen short of your glory and in need of your Son, Jesus Christ. We accept by faith. That eternal life is only obtained by believing in Jesus and accepting that he died and was resurrected. And, Father, we pray at this time for the lost, the folks that don't know Jesus, that don't know the truth of your word. We ask that you open their eyes to see, their ears to hear, and their hearts to believe. Help us as Christians be the salt and light to these lost people. Father God, each week we pray for the people noted in our bulletin, but we know that there's many others that are not mentioned. You know each one of them personally. You know their hurts, struggles, and exactly what they need, Lord, to heal the hurts and provide the comfort and hope to those that are going through difficulties. Help us all learn from the trials and difficulties we experience. We also pray for the spiritual war that's currently going on in our world. Father, your word tells us that you are sovereign and ultimately in control of all things. But sometimes many of us struggle with accepting this truth. As we look around, we see our society and our world in turmoil and confused. What was once right is now considered wrong, and what was once wrong is now considered right. Our world has strayed far from your word, Lord. We ask that you help us get back to seeing things from your perspective and not from world's perspective. Give us the assurance and confidence and faith to believe in your sovereign control. Lord, we also take this opportunity and pray for the leaders of First Church and our community, as well as the leaders of other churches and communities. In addition, we pray for leaders of the state of our state and nation. May your spirit provide them the wisdom and guidance to make decisions based on the principles of your word, Lord. And Father God, we thank you again for the ultimate sacrifice you made by sending your one and only son to the cross to shed his blood for the sins of every single person in this world. We acknowledge that salvation is a free gift to each one of us. And by accepting Jesus' death and resurrection, we will receive eternal life. We pray all of these words in the precious, glorious, mighty, and majestic name of Jesus Christ as we join together in the prayer that he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. May the children come forward for a children chat.
2: Oh man.
3: Hey, good morning. How's are we doing today? Let's come on down. Let's take like the price is right. You guys don't. You guys don't know. Had a sick day with one of the kids the other day, and we did not watch The Price Is Right or have chicken noodle soup. And I'm like, ah, oh, their childhood's never going to be like mine. So. <laughs> Drew Carey does not belong. Anyway, all right, we've got a good crew here. Oh my goodness, you guys, are, you guys still got full bellies from Thanksgiving. How many ate too People eat too much food for Thanksgiving. How many of you had pie? You had pie. Oh my goodness, turkey. Hey. who? you had hay? Oh, I'll give you a bellyache. I, I have birthday coming up. I bet you you have birthday coming up. That sounds great. Well, today we're going to do a couple things, all right? We're going to talk about a few different things, and it is audience participation, congregation participation week, so I hope you cleared your calendars. You are under no obligation to disclose any personal medical information at any given time. All right. That's the asterisk. I just read out the fine print for you. All right. Let's talk about this. How many of you or you know someone that wears glasses? Who wears glasses? If you're wearing glasses, i got glasses. I've worn glasses about every day. Sometime when I turn like seven or eight. I don't even know. It's been a long time. Okay, so wear glasses. That's good. How many of you have had problems and had your tonsils taken out? And we can look out in the congregation too. See other people out there? Anyone? Oh, he's got a couple of the tonsils taken out. The dread old tonsil. like Mrs. Lammers back there. Justin, okay, okay. Let's see. How many of you... Had the crud? Anyone here had their appendix taken out? Got the old appendix, the appendectomy. Chica-chica. Chica-chica. Cut, cut, cut. Got a few folks, okay? So we're, that's a surgery, right? We're actually, they're actually cutting part of, your, part of your stuff out of your belly. Ooh. Okay. Now, I know no one up here will be like this. How many of you out here have had your wisdom teeth removed? And we got their wisdom te- Oh, my goodness, look at all those folks. Yeah, none of you are as wise as this guy because I got him. How about that? Every year, the dentist is like, I can't believe you still have these. They look great. So, brush and floss. All right. So, <laughs> now, now, I'm not going to be rude here, okay, but this is probably going to be for um, some of our more mature Christians here in the church. Are you ready? How many of you in the congregation out here, and I assume none of the student, none of the kids here, have had any knees or joints replaced? Any knee or joint replacement? Okay, so we've got a couple. we got... Maybe some knees, maybe some hips, maybe shoulders, who knows? Okay, back here, okay. So, do you know what that's like? Do you know what they're doing with that? Like, this gets all worn out from working too hard, and they'll actually, like, they'll go cut out that out, and they'll put, like, plastic and titanium steel into you, and you're kind of like kind of like a cyborg. It's pretty cool. Okay, that's really good. Okay, now, how many of you out here, or even down here, how many anyone had, like, a, any kind of just, like, an organ-type surgery? Maybe it's a heart surgery or a liver or anything like that? Any kind Got any open heart folk? Okay, some heart stuff. Okay, so so here's the point. And I brought along my two examples, okay? So these are my grandma and grandpa. And my grandma had three, three knee replacements in her life because they milk cows. And she milked cows and she was up on the stool and off the stool, up off the stool and on the stool. So how many knees do you have? How many knees do you have? Two? Well, she got them replaced and then she kept milking cows and then she wore one of those out again. So, so grandma had three knee replacements. And then my grandpa, my grandpa James, he had open heart surgery when I was pretty young. He fell off a combine, dislocated his shoulder. They're about ready to fix up his shoulder and they're checking on his heart. And they're like, oh, my goodness, your heart is all stopped up because grandpa loved ice cream. He ate a lot of ice cream and actually kind of plugged up some of the tubes and some of the blood vessels in his heart. He he lived a good life. So those are some of the folks you ask your grandma and grandpa or I anything mean, things like that, great grandma and grandpa, if you see them at like Thanksgiving, Christmas here, maybe ask them too, if they're not here today. Okay? So what's the point? Why are we talking about all these things? Why are we talking about surgery and glasses and all that kind of stuff? What's the big deal? Well, I'll tell you what, I think as I've thought about today, it's all about we all want to lead a longer life and we all want to lead a better life. How does that sound? How does that sound? So why do I wear glasses? Well, I'll tell you right now, if I go driving without my glasses, I will not live a very long life. <laughs> I am legally required to wear glasses in the state of Ohio to drive down the road because I'm blind. I cannot see a thing. Okay. And the thing with joints like knees and hips and shoulders, you know, the folks that said, yeah, I've had some of that done. You know, the idea is hey, the idea is That you can keep moving and you can keep playing and keep doing all the fun things that you want to do. You want to keep traveling and seeing fun things. So I think that, you know, we have lots of awesome medical people and doctors and surgeons. And they can take our teeth and they can fix our appendix and our tonsils. We can get our eyes fixed up, our knees, our joints, our shoulders. Because we want to live long and we want to live well, right? You want to live to be a good long age. I want to live to be nice and old, see my grandkids, see my great grandkids. So today's Bible story, today's Bible story is about a heart transplant. Does anyone know what a heart transplant is? What's that? When you move someone's heart to another person. That's right. When you move a heart from one person to another person, it's a really complicated, super, super hard surgery. It's rare, okay? But the heart transplant we're talking about. Do you, now let me think about this. Do you think they had hospitals in the Bible, and they're wearing the mask, and they're scrubbing in, and they got the lights, and they're no. so what are we talking about? Today's Bible story is all about taking out an old, yucky, cruddy heart and putting a new one in, which sounds a lot like a heart transplant. But the Bible story is all about how we love God and how we think about Jesus and what we do with our lives. So believe it or not, today's Bible story is all about something that you can do. And God learn about Jesus and share it with everybody else and do what he tells you to do. Because that is going to be like a heart transplant of your own. How awesome is that? So maybe I'll come up here in December and I'll ask you, did anybody have a heart transplant since last month? And maybe be like, yeah, I did that. i pretty big deal. That would be awesome. What do you think? Maybe so. All right. Let's fold our hands and pray then here. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for these young hearts and minds just in this season of Thanksgiving and, you know, approaching um, the Christmas season. Just continue to place your hand upon them, Lord. Grant them wisdom. Just continue that they may grow um, in their knowledge and love of you. Bless them as they go from this place and as they go every place from here and forever. In your son's name we pray. Amen.
4: Amen. You guys can head back to your seats. Thanks, Clinton, for that children's chat this morning. As we get ready to collect our offering this morning, there's just a couple things I want to remind you of. One is that we have our Advent devotionals uh, freely available at the entrances of the church. Uh, Feel free to pick one up as you leave the sanctuary today. Pick up a couple copies if you have people in mind that you want to give them to. But this year's devotional is called The Christmas Code by O.S. Hawkins. It's a shorter devotional, um, and each day has a word to think about and how it relates to the gospel story. And so I encourage you to pick these up. Um, the readings do begin on December 1st, which is this week. So if you did not pick up a copy, I encourage you to do that today. And as we're coming out of Thanksgiving week, um, as, as Stan was praying earlier, it just reminded me of how important it is for us to be thankful and to be prayerful. And so I want to encourage you to do that Going forward, you know, when we often think about um, big moments or big events in our lives, uh, we think about, you know, sometimes we go through a season, we pray, but then when we're through that season, we forget to continue to pray or continue to be thankful for it. And so I want to encourage you to remember that Thanksgiving is not just a day on the calendar to gather together and eat some delicious food, but it should be an attitude that we have, an ongoing attitude of thankfulness. And there's plenty. We certainly have to be thankful for. It also reminds us that we can and should be faithful in prayer and to be lifting up uh, concerns to the Lord, not only for us as individuals, family, community, but around this world. There's a couple big things going on that we had been praying for for some time. And I, w- I want to encourage you to, to remember those things and not give up. You think about the, the issue one vote that, ha- that took place earlier this month. We certainly talked about it. We prayed about it. You know, and we can continue to pray and, and ask God to help us to be a pro life church and, and all that that means, especially given the results of that vote. And I also encourage you to continue to pray for the conflict that's going on in Israel and Palestine and pray for peace. Uh, we can thank the Lord for hostages that were released recently, uh, but pray for God to, to bring a, a decisive end to that conflict, to pr- the protection of innocent lives. And, and pray uh, for peace to reign in that region. And so those are all things I, I want to encourage you to continue to pray for, even as we move further and further away from the start of those situations. So let's take a moment. Our, our offering today is uh, going to be collected to support the Mercy Unlimited Jail Ministry. And so as the deacons come forward, let me offer a word of prayer of thanksgiving to God for the opportunity to give back to him Father God, we thank you for this day, and we thank you that we have the the privilege and the opportunity to give back to you now. I pray that the offering that we collect this morning would would be a blessing to Mercy Unlimited and the ministry they do, and I pray that you would further the work of your kingdom through them and through us going forward. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen. So I invite the deacons to come forward and collect their offering as Kay offers up our special music this morning.
2: from Ezekiel 11, verses 14 through 25. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, the people of Jerusalem have said of your fellow exiles and all the other Israelites, they are far away from the Lord. This land was given to us as our possession. Therefore say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Although I sent them away, far away among the nations and scattered them among the countries, Yet for a little while, I have been a sanctuary for them in the countries where they have gone. Therefore say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will gather you from the nations and bring you back from the countries where you have been scattered. And I will give you back the land of Israel again. They will return to it and remove all its vile images and detestable idols. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people, and I will be their God. But as for those whose hearts are devoted to their vile images and detestable idols, I will bring down on their own heads what they have done, declares the Sovereign Lord. Then the cherubim, with the wheels beside them, spread their wings, and the glory of the God of Israel was above them. The glory of the Lord went up from within the city and stopped above the mountain east of it. The Spirit lifted me up and brought me to the exiles in Babylonia in the vision given by the Spirit of God. Then the vision I had seen went up from me, and I told the exiles everything the Lord had shown me.
4: Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray together again. Father God, as we gather here together uh, to worship You, uh, we just lift Your name on high. We thank You and praise You for all the wonderful things You've done for us. And most importantly, Lord, we thank You simply for who You are, Your goodness, Your faithfulness, Your glory, and Your holiness. Lord God, we ask now that You would... That you would move in our hearts and minds as we study your word together. May your Holy Spirit open up our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. And may you give me words to speak, words that are honoring and pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You know, as Clinton was uh, doing his children's chat this morning and going through his list of uh, ailments, I couldn't help but think of a gentleman I knew from my last church in Huntington, Ohio, uh, Larry was a, a, a great guy, and, and one of the few people in my life that I've met that we actually shared the same birthday. I think we were 49 years apart, though. Um, he was a little bit older than me, uh, but he was a great guy. Uh, really enjoyed getting to know him and his wife, Linda, and, and they were just always such a, a sweet couple that, that always uh, reached out to us and cared a lot about us. And they were one of the the people we knew we would miss quite a bit when we moved here to New Knoxville. Uh when I was at when I was at Huntington, Larry actually had to have emergency bypass surgery. Now I don't know exactly what I think it was triple bypass, may have been quadruple, but it was a very serious event. And I remember when it happened and talking with him and Linda afterwards, Linda couldn't Linda communicated to me what Larry was like going into the operating room. Again, this was an emergency situation. It wasn't planned. It was a very last minute decision. And they were bringing him in. And as they were prepping him for surgery, Larry was talking to all the nurses, all the aides, all the doctors that were in there about how much he loved Jesus and how much he wanted them to know that. Right. So they're literally prepping him to open up his chest to have Triple bypass surgery or whatever it was, and all he could do, all he could think about was talking about his love for the Lord and, and what, uh, and wanting others to experience that as well. Now that surgery was successful and Larry recovered, and a few years ago he did go to be with the Lord, but I still remember hearing that story and talking about, and and that was just the kind of person Larry was, knowing the lord and wanting others to know him too you know heart surgery is serious and triple bypass surgery is very serious and and as clinton alluded to this passage that we're talking about here today is talking about something very important physical heart surgery is very serious but even more important than that is spiritual heart surgery the first successful heart transplant performed on a human was, was done in 1967, which that's within living memory for many of you here today, right? And think about how far we've come along since then and, and what we are capable of doing as, you know, by God's grace and through His wisdom, you know, we were able to, people were able to figure those things out. But again, what we are talking about here today is not clogged arteries or heart failure although those are very serious things that some people have to deal with. But what everybody has to deal with is the need for a new spiritual heart. You see, Ezekiel reminds us here in this passage that apart from Christ, apart from God's grace and His, uh, His redemption, our hearts are hard as stone. They are divided. And so what we need is a new heart within us in order to save us And rescue us. And that's something that only God can do for us. Ezekiel here again is is speaking to a people in exile, right? Many of God's people, as Babylon came in and and conquered Jerusalem and destroyed the temple, many of those people were brought into exile and, and kind of in waves. And Ezekiel was part of that first wave of exiles that were brought to Babylon and, and he is speaking a message of hope and a word of hope to them. You see, Ezekiel, like many of the other prophets in the Old Testament, had this two-fold message that they were delivering. The first part of that was judgment, right? Judgment for sin and specifically the judgment of sin, of the sin of idolatry. That was a problem that God's people had over and over and over again. They struggled with their idols. And so this exile, this judgment from God was because of their sin. And God was very clear from the beginning that that was going to be the case. We talked about that some last week when we looked at Lamentations chapter 3. But the other side of that message is a message of hope, is a message of salvation. And we see that here in Ezekiel 11, that even though God scattered his people into the nations, as judgment for their sin, he also promises to redeem and rescue them out of exile and bring them back to Israel. And even while they're in exile, he says that he has been a, a sanctuary for them. Now, that's, that's an important detail that I don't want to miss. I, we're not going to focus on that too much today, but it's important for us to pause and reflect on what Ezekiel, what the Lord is saying through Ezekiel here. He said, even in judgment, even in exile... God is with them. Right, God has been a sanctuary for them, even in exile. It's a good reminder that God never leaves nor forsakes His people. That even though they were scattered to the four winds, even though they had lost everything, God was still their sanctuary. He was still a refuge and an ever-present help in trouble. It's a good message for, for people that feel like they're in exile. Right, We may not be physically displaced But we may feel like exiles. And it's important to remember that God promises to be with us wherever we go or whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. God is our sanctuary. David in Psalm 139 talked about that. He said, where can I go from your presence? Where can I go from your spirit? Right? David knew that there was nowhere in all of creation that we could go to escape from the Lord and his presence. And so it's also true that there's nowhere we can go where, where God can't reach us. There's nowhere we can find ourselves that is too far removed for God to redeem us and to bring us back home. See, we may not be in exile, but we have a problem of our own, don't we? Exile is a, is a predominant theme in Scripture, and, and it is... And, and though we are not physical exiles here because of our sin, because of our disobedience to the Lord, in a sense, we are spiritual exiles. We have all come under that judgment for sin. And so all of us need to hear the good news that God can and will rescue his people. And so the way, so he promises to bring them back. He promises to, to establish them in Israel once again. And then he tells us how that's going to happen. He says that he needs to give them a new heart. You see, their old self was, was divided. Their old self was dead to sin. Their old self was, had, had a heart of stone that was stubborn and unchangeable. And so what they need is for God to give them a new heart. What we all need is for God to give us a new heart. A heart that is undivided in our loyalty to Him. A heart that is, that is alive in the Holy Spirit. A heart that is made of flesh. That is able and willing to be obedient to the Lord. That is what we all need. And that is what will redeem us. And so let's look at each of those things in turn today and talk about what that means for us. So first of all, we need to have an undivided heart. You see, the problem with us just naturally is that our heart tends to be divided. We are very distracted people, aren't we? We go in all sorts of directions and 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 we our hearts are idol factories. It is so easy for us to put other things in front of God and in the place that only He deserves. Because at its core, that's what an idol is. An idol is anything that we put above God in our lives. Sometimes they're Obviously, bad or wrong things, right? There are evil things that we can make idols in our lives. But sometimes idols are good things that we elevate above the Lord. And we have plenty of examples of that in our, in our life, don't we? Our family, our job, our spouse, our children, our, uh, our community, right? We can, we can put things above God and put it in, put it in the place that only He deserves. And even when those are good things, they can become idols for us. And so Ezekiel here says that, that when we return to the Lord, we need to remove the vile images and detestable idols from among us. In other words, we need to root out those idols that have taken root in our heart. Now, sometimes those idols were physical you know, think about stories in the Old Testament that talked about asherah poles and altars to Baal and, and household idols. Idols were often, in that time, physical objects, right? Made of wood or stone or precious metals. And so when they turned away from their idols to return to the Lord, they would, they would smash them, they would burn them, they would destroy them as a sign of their, their return to God. But not all idols are physical, are they? There's plenty of idols that have taken root in our heart that, that aren't physical objects. And let's be honest, even the ones that were physical objects had root in the heart of an individual. Right? That is the core cause of idolatry, is, is things taking root in a person's heart. And so to have an undivided heart, we need to, we need to root up those idols. We need to tear them out and set them aside. So that our, our main loyalty, our number one priority in our life is the Lord. Now, Allie and I have had a, a garden at the Parsonage for many years now, and, and we are not the best gardeners or even the most attentive gardeners in the world, right? We enjoy doing it, but it's definitely not our specialty. And, but one thing we do know, that is if you don't pay attention to a garden, those weeds are going to come back quickly, Right? And and even if you are the most attentive gardener in the world, you still need to get in there and uproot those weeds because no matter how many you pull out, no matter how often you pull them out, they're going to come back. Idols are like weeds in our heart. We tend to be forgetful. We tend to be distracted. And when our focus shifts off the Lord, those idols begin to take root in our heart like weeds. They just keep constantly coming back over and over and over again. And so we need to make sure that we are constantly reminding ourselves of the goodness of God, of of his grace, of his gospel, and and turning away from those things that are going to distract us. Now in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus talked about what we should do when we struggle with sin. He talks about murder. He talks about idolatry. And then in Matthew chapter 5, he says this, this is Matthew five, beginning in verse uh, twenty nine. He says, that "If your right hand causes you to stumble, gouge. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell." Again, it's Matthew five twenty nine and thirty. Now, Jesus here is not advocating for self-mutilation, right? He's not telling us to to physically pluck out our eyes and cut off our hands, but he's using an exaggeration here to prove a point. That is, if we know there are things in our lives that cause us to sin, if we know there are things in our lives that distract us from our commitment to the Lord, then we should remove those things. We should step away from those things so that our undivided, undistracted loyalty can remain with Jesus. See, idolatry is not just a problem for Israelites in exile. It continues to be a problem for us today because idols easily take root in our hearts. And so we need to constantly make sure we are reevaluating our priorities. And we need to make sure that we are putting Christ first in all that we do. Now, a word of caution there as well, when we talk about putting Christ first in everything we do, that doesn't mean that the other commitments in our life don't matter. But it just means that Christ needs to be first in everything. And so we still have our jobs, but we, we approach them with Christ as Lord, right? And, and, and thinking about how that impacts the way that we work. We still have families and children to care for, but we do that with Christ as head of our lives. We have other commitments and other responsibilities and we don't give up on those things, but we allow God to transform them. We allow our faith in Christ to transform the way that we approach those other commitments in our lives. And so an undivided heart means that we put Christ first and we root out the idols that distract us and we give him our entire lives. And one more thing before we move on. Our, an undivided heart personally, right? If I have given my life to Christ and I've made Him Lord, that's... So think about this for just a second. If we all commit to making Christ our number one priority in everything we do, that's naturally going to unite us together as one. Think about instruments that are tuned to the same tuning fork. Right? If, a, if, a, if two different pianos are tuned to the same tuning fork they're naturally going to be tuned with one another. They're naturally going to be in tune with one another because they are tuned to the same standard. The same is true for us as Christians. If, if we all as individuals commit to making Christ first in our lives, that's going to bring unity to us as a church because we are committed to the same thing. So the first thing we need is an undivided heart. Second, We need a new spirit within us. Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 19 says that, right after he talks about the undivided heart, he says, I'm going to put a new spirit in them. The spirit is often associated with life in scriptures. In Genesis chapter 2, after God forms Adam out of the dust of the earth, he breathes his spirit into him to bring him to life. Later on in Ezekiel chapter 37, there's this, Image or this vision of the valley of dry bones. And over the course of that vision, these bones come together. They look like real people, but they're still dead until the Spirit of God comes into them. And so the Spirit is often associated with bringing the dead to life. And so what he is saying here is, is we are spiritually dead in our sins, and we need God to make us alive. In him. So scripture tells us that that God gives us his spirit, that God breathes new life into us, that we in Christ are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. You see, the problem with the Israelites wasn't just geographical displacement, it's not that they were in Jerusalem and now they're in Babylon. The problem is that they were lost in their sin and their idolatry. They were dead in their sin and they needed to be made alive in Christ. You see, Jesus died and rose again not to make bad people good, but to make dead people alive. That is the difference that God makes for us in Christ. So Ephesians 2 talks about how we are all, all of us dead in our sins and our trespasses. We are all lost. But in Christ, we are made alive because of His love, because of His grace, His mercy. Not anything we've done to deserve it, but simply because of His love. We are made alive in Him. So we need an undivided heart. We need, a, we need to be made alive in Christ. And finally, we need to have this heart of stone removed and replaced with the heart of flesh. Has anybody ever told you you're hard-headed before? Right? A little stubborn, right? Well, the, the term that Scripture uses often is, is, instead of hard-headed, it talks about being hard-hearted. That's the, that's the phrase that Scripture uses to describe Pharaoh, king of Egypt, when he refused to let God's people go, he had a hard heart. And it's the phrase that is often used to describe God's own people when they were stubborn and refused to return to Him. They were hard-hearted. You see, apart from Christ, we are, we are stubborn and obstinate, and we, are, we, we often refuse to change and follow the Lord. And so again, we need God to step in and, and remove that heart of stone from us and give us a heart of flesh, a living heart, a heart that is, that is willing and ready to obey Him. Notice the connection here, again, in Ezekiel chapter 11. He says, He will remove their heart of stone, this is verse 19, and give them a heart of flesh, and then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people, and I will be their God. Notice the connection between this New undivided heart, this new spirit in this heart of flesh, the connection between that and then obedience and relationship with the Lord. See, the pattern of Scripture is that, is that God saves us so that we can be obedient to Him. Scripture doesn't say be obedient so that God will save you. It says that God will save you, therefore you should be obedient to Him. And again, that's the pattern that's established in in Exodus with the law. Think about what happens there. God rescues His people out of Egypt, out of slavery, and then He brings them to the the mountain and gives them the Ten Commandments and the law. God didn't meet with Moses at the burning bush and say, here's the Ten Commandments, bring them back to Egypt, and once you guys figure this all out, I will come and rescue you. No, that's not what he says at all. God rescues and redeems his people. He brings them out of slavery. And then he says, now here's how you should live. Obedience always follows salvation, not the other way around. And that's the pattern we see here as well. God promises to give a a new heart. And he says, therefore, then you will be able to obey my decrees. It's the same thing we see in Jeremiah 31 with the promise of this new covenant where God will write the law no longer on stone tablets, but on the very hearts of his people. You see, apart from Christ, even when we try our hardest, we are unwilling and unable to obey. But in Christ, as new creations with a new heart and a new spirit, God makes us and enables us to finally be willing to, obedient. And that then leads us into relationship with him. That phrase, they will be my people and I will be their God. That same phrase is used in revelation 21. When the apostle John talks about the new heavens and the new earth, as, as God is reestablishing his kingdom on earth, free from sin, free from the effects of sin, free from even death itself says, I will be their God and they will be my people. Same phrase that's used here in Ezekiel. This is the promise that God makes to us, that if we repent from our sins, if we turn away from our idols and return to the Lord, he will give us a new, undivided, living heart that is willing and ready to be obedient to him. And we can know him personally as Savior and Lord. This passage ends in a very interesting way. If you notice, if you've been reading through Ezekiel, you notice that that Ezekiel often describes the glory of the Lord in in a very kind of vivid way. And that's what he's describing here at the end of this passage. He talks about the cherubim, the wheels, and talks about the glory of God uh, lifting up from within the city, within the temple, and moving eastward. Now, it's, it's kind of a strange detail if you think about it, but it's very important. You see, eastward was the direction of Babylon, God's people have been taken east to Babylon. And so there's this indication that God's glory, yes, the temple was, was being desecrated. It was being destroyed. God's people were being brought into exile. But God's glory wasn't contained there. It was lifted up and it was moving towards His people in exile. But then it says that it stopped and rested above the mountain east of it, east of Jerusalem. See, the mountain east of Jerusalem was the Mount of Olives. And if you've read through the Gospels, you know that the Mount of Olives is a lo- very important location. It's the, it's the site of, of Jesus' uh, ascension after his resurrection. It's the place that he was arrested. It was the place where he, he staged the in Jesus' life and ministry. Ezekiel describes the glory of God. But in Jesus, we see the glory of God fully revealed to us. See, the glory of God was moving out and moving towards the exiles. He promised to be a sanctuary for them. He promised to bring them back home. And it's in Jesus that we see that promise fully revealed and fulfilled. Jesus is the very glory of God revealed to us. Ezekiel gets a glimpse, but in Jesus, we see the whole thing. And it's Jesus moving out towards us. Sinners lost in exile. Lost in darkness. Lost in our sin. Jesus moves out towards us in order to rescue us and redeem us. To bring us back home to Him. It's Jesus, His life, His death, His resurrection that rescues us from captivity. Not to Babylon in exile. Not to to Pharaoh in Egypt. But our captivity to sin the very thing that holds each and every human heart down and it's only in Christ that those chains are broken it's only in Christ that 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 we are freed from sin and given a new heart you see it's in Christ that this promise is fulfilled and so i encourage you to stay to to put your trust in Jesus as savior he's the one that rescues us from exile he's the one through his death and his resurrection that gives us a new heart And He is the one who gives us His Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God, to guide us and direct us in our lives. And not only does He save us from our sin, but He's the one that then empowers us to live with a new, undivided heart. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for Your Son, Jesus Christ, who died and rose again for us. And I thank You, Lord God, that You do not abandon us in our sin. But in Christ, you rescue us from exile. You forgive us and you redeem us and you make us new. And it's in Christ and through the presence of His Holy Spirit that we are able to be ready and willing to obey you and to know you personally. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we close our service of worship this morning, I invite you to stand if you're able and sing our closing hymn number two. Come thou fount of every blessing. wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. So take my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Right? That's a prayer that acknowledges that we, as we said earlier, we, we, we are prone to wander. We are, our hearts are idle factories and we constantly need to fight back and push back against that. But by God's grace and only by God's grace, are we able to stay focused on him? Again, it's not us that does the work. It's all about him. So we thank you, Lord God, for your grace. We thank you for your sustaining grace that, that stays with us even through difficult times. And we pray that it is that grace that, that keeps our focus on you and keeps our heart on you. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. You may go in peace.